0: All right, Acts 18.24 to 19.10. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and, con- and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think you may be seated. You may be laying down, uh, but try to stay awake. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We. We ask that it would, it would invigorate us, it, uh, it would also bring uh, what sa- the Sabbath is supposed to be, Lord, not just a rest from work, but a spiritual rest. And so, Lord, would you give our hearts uh, rest this morning uh, through the, the preaching of your word, uh, through the power of your word, and, and through the spirit of your word that, that is coming into our hearts this very day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it takes a big man to admit his mistakes, And I am that big man. (laughs) Many of us, like Michael Scott, uh, struggle to say I was wrong. (laughs) But even before we say it, I think many of us struggle to even believe that I I could be wrong. And so today, as we look at the book of Acts, uh, I want us to ask ourselves three questions Am I right? Am I wrong? and am I okay? So am I right? Am I wrong? Am I okay? I think when we usually uh, ask the question, am I right? Uh, I think we're usually uh, assuming the response is is most assuredly a yes. It's a positive, right? Uh, Like someone might say, this virus is crazy. Am I right? And hopefully you're not making that kind of comment. But there's no way you could say, no, it's not crazy. Like you're assuming that it's crazy. Or maybe if you're at work uh, and someone one of your coworkers says, Mondays, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> That's, hopefully people aren't doing this, but you know what they're trying to say. They want you to say yes, and they assume there's no way to say no. Uh, we're positive that we're right and that someone will agree with us. And so as we continue in the book of Acts, Paul is leaving Corinth uh, and he's continuing his missionary journey. And now remember Priscilla and Aquila, the, the couple that took him in for about a year and a half. Um, they're the ones who have that, that business. They're tent makers. They're this married couple that take Paul in. And as they've, they've interacted with this, this guy for a year and a half, uh, someone who is so on mission with God, it, it, it rubs off on you. Like it, it, it excites you to where now Paul is continuing his missionary journey. Instead of staying where they're at in Corinth, they go with him. They follow him uh, to Ephesus. And so I think what a beautiful thing that happens here is they, they don't just leave their job for a mission. They actually leverage it. Like they, they go and set up a tent making business in Ephesus. Paul leave, leaves them. He, they go to Ephesus. Then Paul leaves them. He goes on another journey a little bit to Antioch uh, and he begins his third missionary journey. Uh, but for now, our story focuses on this couple, right? Like this couple, they, they are the Marcus Lomonas uh, uh, of the first century, they, they, had, they had the shop in Rome and then in Corinth, and then they set up their, their franchise in Ephesus. And so this, this business is, is killing it, right? They, they, they have the people, they have the product, they have the process. But it's just beautiful, I think, that they don't have to leave their job for a mission. They're actually leveraging their job. And, and, and if you're tired of hearing me say this, I think we're just now beginning to understand it. Uh, What it means uh, when God deploys his missionaries is when he does it through every single one of us. That when we say, like the title of this series, We Are Church, means that it is not the professionals that do it. It is every single one of us. And so God uses you. He uses me. He uses your gifts. He uses your vocation. He uses your work as a part of his missionary strategy. That you don't have to leave your work to then do mission. Like you do mission through your work, to do good things. You are part of, of God's mission there. A guy named Leslie Newbegin says, you are the hermeneutics of the gospel. Like you are what people hear and see. And so that's why 86% of people who come to church are coming because someone, a friend invited them. And so they see God in your normal life. They see God at work and they go, I'll follow that. And so God is at work through this couple here. And in verse 24, this couple meets a man named Apollos uh, who comes to Ephesus. And what we learn about Apollos is in, ver- uh, in uh, where are you? verse 24, he's got the name, right? Apollos. I mean, that, that, that's a great name, right? It's the famous son of Zeus. And so he's got this great name. We also learn that he's from Alexandria, Alexandria, that's it, it, this place in Egypt, and this African city was known all throughout the world as the place of learning. Like, it was the place. It was the Harvard and Yale um, in, in the ancient world was in Alexandria. And so he's got the name, he's got the educational credentials, and then and then it says, goes on to say, he was an eloquent man. Ooh. <laughs> I want to be known as an eloquent man, (laughs) that he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about, but he also can deliver it in in amazing ways that he has people in the palm of his hands. This is that Grey Poupon, that Evian, that TED Talk. Oh, boy. boy. (laughs) (laughs) He can hold people in the palm of his hands. He is a TED Talk speaker. People are captivated by him. They go out of their way to listen to a talk, right? In the first century, this was the gift if you had the gift of eloquence, you honed it. You, you practice your rhetoric. You, you, you pa- practice that you could be speaking powerfully. And today, there are many adjectives that one might aspire to in our world, you know, to be powerful, to be respected, to be influential, to be significant. But I think it's hard to find a better word that people aspired to than eloquent in the ancient world. But then we get that he's competent in the scriptures. So he knows the Old Testament well. Right? He's being well trained, but maybe his best feature comes in verse 25. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent, which means like he was boiling, he was seething with passion. And so, and then he spot, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And so he knows the Old Testament. He knows, he knows things about the Old Testament, things that are pointing to the Christ, pointing to Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the Christ, and he speaks with passion and with boldness. And in the synagogues, he was refuting Jews powerfully. And so he's fantastic. Am I right? Yes. yes. <laughs> if he was a preacher at your church, you would be thrilled. Am I right? Yes. I'm sure. If you don't have the mic, people are saying yes. <laughs> well, in verse 25, the end of it says though he knew only the baptism of John. And you go, what? John the Baptist was, was a forerunner to Jesus, who, who, who baptized a baptism of repentance and uh, preparation for Jesus. And so he, he didn't know that Jesus taught a new baptism. But for Apollos, though, I, I think we need to see that his teaching wasn't inaccurate. It was just incomplete. He needed more information. And, and this is a very specific time period for this whole thing. Like, he, he just needed a little bit more information that, that we don't have right now. Like, we're not in that same situation. We've had 2,000 years of, of experience and stories and Bibles being passed out that we know this. But the, the news hadn't made the rounds yet. This passage only paints Apollos in, in the most positive light. And so let's not cast him out of the kingdom for missing this one theological point. This is no blight on his character. He's orthodox. It says he speaks only accurately. But let's look at how he learns. Priscilla in Aquila, and it says Priscilla first, the the woman, probably because she was the one who took the lead here. uh, In verse 26, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Lord, give me friends who love me enough not just to pad my ego, But will actually tell me things aside and private and explain to me where I'm wrong. I've had some of you do this uh, with me on a number of occasions, more often than I'd like to admit, and and, and I needed it. And I don't want to hear any more amens on that. (laughs) How many of y'all like confronting people? How many of you guys like confronting people? You're wrong. If you like to confront people, you're wrong. But if you hate confronting people, you're wrong as well. And that might be my hand. I, I, if you hate confronting people, I think you're wrong as well. And one of my good friends, one of yours hopefully as well, John Maurer, uh, said this to me before. He said, leadership is the willingness to have hard conversations. I mean... <laughs> That broke me, as it may be breaking you. (laughs) Leadership is the willingness to have hard conversations. And so it's not that we're looking for hard conversations, but we're not scared to confront them when they happen. And so if we're in a church that's missing some key theological doctrines, I mean, what do we normally do? I mean, either we just say, well, they got a good kids ministry and we stick it out. (laughs) We'll just, we'll we'll erase some of the things that other people said uh, theologically. Um, Or maybe we just go, we just up and leave. And we instantly, we, we just bail. And so I don't know if either of those are, are the best option. Or, or do we talk with the leadership? I mean, think of it this way. If your friends are wrong, do we just write them off? If someone's done something wrong and you just say like, they're the worst, I've never having anything to do with them. Or do we step into a difficult conversation with them and have a loving discussion with them? Now Priscilla and Aquila take, this, the, take leadership seriously. They pull aside this great speaker, Right, this guy who's speaking with packed houses, known for his eloquence. He's got the name. He went to the right university of Alexandria, right? He's got his master's degree and he's probably even a different social stratosphere than these two. And they he's it's like he just finished speaking at this huge conference at the Gospel Coalition and they say, "Come here. Let me let me let me talk to you here real quick. You you kind of blew it here." <laughs> like how would you respond in that, ma- in that manner? Like, how do you respond in that time? But notice what they do. They pull him aside quietly and privately. They don't do it, 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 it interrupt him and shame him publicly and try to stop what he's doing right then. Out of love for him and the gospel, they pull him aside. And so I say, thank God for Priscilla's and Aquila's. And, and we know the fruit of their conversation goes well for Apollos because we hear more about Apollos later in scripture. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is trying to diffuse these factions that happen because Paul is, uh, Apollos is so effective in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6, I don't think I have the verses up there. It says, Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? <laughs> Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so Paul is is including him as a partner in ministry. It's not it's not uh, I this guy got everything wrong. No, he's he's remembered as a partner and a co-laborer in ministry. And so, am I right in everything? No, (laughs) no. Thank you, Lord, uh, for for people like uh, Priscilla and Aquila to to point these things out. But a scarier question to ask yourself is, am I wrong? am I right conveys more of a confidence uh, in your position, but am I wrong conveys some doubt. Like, like maybe I've missed something. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a a multiple choice. (laughs) Our camera for Instagram just went goodbye. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a a multiple choice exam and you've start answering the questions and you got every single answer in the last four or five questions was the letter D and you're like, Could it really be D all the way? It's usually C, (laughs) and so at some point you go like, "Am I wrong? Am I doing something wrong here?" And so the doubt starts to creep in there. Something serious is happening here. And so after this talk with Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos goes off, and we have sort of a parent trap moment, right? You know, Apollos goes to Ephesus, and then Paul, who was in Ephesus or wasn't. Apollos, who was in Ephesus, goes to Corinth, and, and Paul, who was in Corinth, goes to Ephesus, right? They, they just kind of swap in, in places there. But when Paul comes to Ephesus, he finds this these group of disciples who, who may prove to be the leadership of the church in, in, in Ephesus, which Paul later writes the scripture Ephesians, which we've used in our, our service here. Um, but these disciples equally don't seem to fully grasp something about the scriptures, I think, but the difference between what is said about Apollos and what is said about these disciples is that Apollos seems to have been well learned, right? That he, he had a big grasp on the scriptures. He understood it all pointed to Jesus. Uh, but this group here, as we see Paul's teaching them in verse uh, 19, verse two, I mean, he's starting to see that something's off. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, <laughs> right? I mean, it's kind of a bold question to ask someone. Did, did you receive the Holy Spirit, Aaron? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it's potentially insulting. But, but it's a willingness to have hard qu- conversations, right? And they reply, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so if you're like, wait, what? How did you not know there's a Holy Spirit? You're not alone. Because verse 3, the next verse, Paul says, well, into what then were you baptized? And they say, into John's baptism. And you're going, What? <laughs> Do you, do you know that there is a better baptism out there? That the baptism of Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Like, they've never heard of this. How, how is that possible? Repent and be baptized. Is that ringing any bells? Like, go make disciples of all nations baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Still nothing? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. Why don't you tell it to me, like, like how you heard it? <laughs> like, how are you not hearing this? Y'all, I, I'm actually really, really sad that today was going to be the day that we had our first baptisms in Mosaic. Today was going to be the day we had a couple adult baptisms and a couple children baptisms. And I'm just, I mean, lament with me. Everyone just sigh out loud. Ugh, oh. right? Like we, we want this. We want to be together. This, it grieves me that we're not doing this. Baptism is a beautiful thing. But, but these people, I mean, they sound similar to Apollos, right? But they sound a little, bit, little more ignorant than Apollos. They're not really sure. He's a learned man. These seem like newbies. They didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And y'all, I'll admit, I struggled with this text this week. I went back and forth a lot. Because the commentaries go back and forth a lot. You read one commentary and they say these people can't be Christians. You read another commentary that says they are. You read another that says maybe they might be, but we're not sure. Another one (laughs) says maybe Apollos is, but they're not. And it's going all over the place. And and it was hard to take a stand on this. But I I, I landed because one of my good friends, a guy you may know, Malcolm Foley, uh, pointed out in verse 2 when he says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Mm -hmm. Signaling that they believe. Like, (laughs) How Paul would know to not use that word if they actually believed. He gives them credit for this. And so it's not that they don't believe, it's just that they're ignorant. They, they have followed John, who was all about Christ, right? John was, was, was preparing the way for the Christ, who would pay for the sins of the world, but they didn't know the full story. They didn't get the memo. No one sent them the newsletter, right? They, they hadn't been told, it's better than you even know, Amen. It's better than I even know. And so, though I'm tempted to say they can't be believers, I actually find a lot of comfort that God hasn't asked us to all be examined on the theological uh, credentials committee. Like, thank you, Lord. He simply asks them, Do you know him? God just asks us, Do you trust him? Are you saved by him? Are you ready to submit to his kingship? Or you can boil it down to two simple questions. Am I a great sinner? And is he a great savior? I mean, on Palm Sunday, we, we, are, we saw many were happy to throw these palms down in front of the king to shout Hosanna, which it means salvation, jubilee. Salvation is here because the king is coming. But only to a couple days yell crucify. I mean, they couldn't imagine a king Coming so lowly as to identify with his people, to then then murder him. Like that that, that is such a shift to say, yes, this is our savior to this is is dirt, this is trash, then we will murder him. To come as a suffering servant. But he has to be both king and savior. Like we need him as both king and savior. He has to be the ruler of the entire world as well as the one who identifies with us and suffers for us. He needs to be both. We can't just have one or the other because as the king, he could just rule over us and just squash us like pipsqueaks. But he so identifies with us, he doesn't want us to to be cast out. He loves us so dearly and deeply that he then identifies with us, becomes one of us and dies for us. And so we, I think we all need to be enlightened. We all need to be woken up. Am I wrong? There's something wrong in my thinking about who Jesus is? But here's the beautiful thing when Paul confronts them and tells them about this, they respond and they're baptized into Christ. And the Spirit comes on them and then they start speaking in tongues. And I just want to say, I, I don't think we need to say that every time you believe or um, every time you're baptized um, that you start speaking in tongues. I think this is descriptive. It's not prescriptive, right? This is just saying what happened to them. This is what happened to these people, because if we look at elsewhere in the book of Acts, when someone believes like the Philippian jailer, they didn't just start speaking in tongues. We look at the, the leader of the synagogue in Corinth. He believed nothing happens then. And so the gift of tongues is it's a gift, right? Some, get, have, some have it, some don't. But the key here is that they actually respond. They actually listen to Paul. They're, they're willing to hear him, willing to listen. I mean, and that's a gift. Like both groups here are very like they respond well. That they actually listen to the, the outside critique. I mean, how many times has someone approached you with a critique or with a criticism and you felt like it was an attack and you're like, you're crazy. I don't want to hear that. I did this to Kristen yesterday. <laughs> Ugh, and I thought about it. I was like, dang it. I was gonna be perfect for my sermon, but I blew it. <laughs> be God, <gone>, woman. <laughs> so I don't I wanna say it like that. Sorry. <laughs> That's too far. That's too far. I repent. I, <laughs> but if you're like me and you, you start realizing that, I, I wonder, can I, can I be critiqued? Can, can someone actually correct me? Can I be wrong? And then I ask this last question of you. I want you to ask this last question of you is, am I okay? Paul goes on to teach in the synagogue for about three months Reasoning and persuading. And then in verse 9, it says, Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. So much so that they that, that Paul had to leave the, the the synagogue and go to the Hall of Tyrannus, which is this educational center, like a school, uh, maybe an elementary school where their church plant begins, right? You know, churches are in, in, in elementary schools all the time here. Um, but the scary thing that, that Paul encounters right here and that we should be scared about is that when one is confronted with the truth, faced with logic and reality, are you incapable of admitting that you're wrong? I mean, this is what it means to be stubborn, to be incorrigible, not to be able to be corrected or to be improved or reformed. I mean, can you be wrong? I mean, some of you don't struggle with this. You may only see the wrong in yourselves. And I would say for you, your job is to see how loved and cherished you are. Go go to the the, the promises and and the, the hope in Scripture. But others, they can't see where they are wrong. And some of you have met people like this, that certain people will never admit they are wrong. And you guys can think of that person right now. Maybe you can think of that argument that you had with someone recently. And the other person is just so sure of their view. And maybe you've even gone so far as to prove them that they are wrong based on facts and history. Like, there's no way they could argue out of this, and yet (laughs) they still don't believe you. Why? Well, I would argue that they're not okay, that something is going on deeper inside of them. I mean, psychologists talk about people who just can't be wrong. They they, they don't do that because of how strong they are, that they're just so strong-willed. It's actually because of how fragile their ego is. They're admitting, like they're admitting uh, that they had made a mistake or that they were wrong is just fundamentally too threatening to, for their egos to tolerate. And so accepting that they were wrong or absorbing that reality would be so psychologically shattering that, that they have this defense mechanism that does something remarkable to just avoid it. They literally distort the perception of reality so that they can't be wrong. And if this wasn't so dangerous, this would just be fascinating to watch. That their defense mechanisms protect their fragile ego by changing the facts in their mind so that they are no longer wrong or culpable. That's what these people are doing here when when Paul confronts them. When when we repeatedly exhibit this kind of behavior, we are by definition what psychologists call psychologically fragile. And so I ask you these three questions here today. Am I right? Is my view of Jesus complete or is it possible that there's some areas I can grow? Am am I wrong? Where is that dark cloud over my thinking that uh, tainting my fuller picture of the kingdom? And then lastly, am I okay? If someone were to challenge me like they had challenged Paulus, like I challenged these 12 people here, would would I listen or would I immediately shut them out? I mean, I believe one signifier of of a gospel changed life is that you're teachable. I mean, you're willing to admit that you're wrong, or even that I can and will be wrong. Like, so that if someone comes to us and says, here's something you should consider. Like, here's part of your character that's out of step with the gospel. Even if 90% of what they're saying is wrong, that we're willing to listen to the other 10%. Even if it's only 10% of what they're saying is true about us, that we're willing to listen to it and not defend ourselves. We just take it and we chew on it. And the reason I think this is a sign of a changed life is because the way you respond to criticism, I think reveals a lot about what you believe your security of your status is with Jesus. I mean, are you the defense lawyer or is Jesus? Do you have Jesus defending you or are you left to yourself? I mean, if Jesus is your defender... (laughs) And you could say, absolutely, let me look into that. I have a defender. And so if Jesus is the defender, then not even the devil can throw shade at you, right? Because you've given the perfect spotless record of a, another. I mean, if, if Jesus is your defender, he's taking your spotted, he's taking your crooked and broke and ugly record <laughs> and says, judge, we need to enter new evidence into the court. And so we enter this new evidence. We have a perfect record a perfect life of his qualifications that are now yours, and his name is Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves, that he rescues, and it's not really fair because your defense attorney is also the judge. (laughs) So I know I'm good here. I know I'm good with God. I don't have to right my wrongs because they've been righted. Like, they've been righted by his death and his resurrection. But let me hear you out. If I believe that Galatians 2.20 is there is, is true, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Then let's hear it. Let's talk. Like, tell me of some of my character flaws. Because that type of contentment and that type of teachability and humility stems from the fact that, that I know that there but by the grace of God go I. Like grace of getting what I don't deserve. I know I don't deserve love. I know I don't deserve protection, but I've gotten it. And so all of this would be far worse. Like, so I know I'm a sinner, but I also know I'm loved and I'm cherished by my Savior. And so in that sense, I'm untouchable. And that belief is not just healthy for your soul. It's also attractive to the outside world because it's not only a sign of a gospel changed life, It's also how you get a gospel-changed life. I mean, think about it. How do you reach someone who is stubborn and obstinate and incorrigible? Like, if they won't listen to reason, if they won't listen to you, how do you reach them? They may not listen to reason. They may not listen to to the logic. They may not listen to your invites. How do you reach them? Well, lovingly, sacrificially caring for them. At no benefit to yourself. In fact, at, at great cost to yourself going out of your way to love them just because you love them, not with an agenda, but just because you love them and care for them, then they start seeing the love of Jesus. They start seeing someone sacrificing themselves for them that they don't deserve it. They see the gospel and it changes things. It makes them want to hear you out. And so if they don't come to church, we bring the church to them. We tell them and we show them hospitality and grace because it has been shown to us. And so today I ask you, is your soul okay? I mean, listen to that. Is there something going on in my heart that makes me feel the need to justify my behavior, to defend myself, to never hear a rebuke? Am I okay? I don't know how you'll answer that, but I want to answer. Oh, perfect timing. Instagram, this is the terrible time. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're finishing the service. Facebook is out for a second. Stop um, recording. Okay. Is it back on? We back on? Good timing. You think we're back on? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, we're back. Okay. Welcome back. Sorry about technical difficulties. I'm amazed it hasn't happened yet. We probably should have paused and (laughs) break time. we're asking the question, am I okay? Um, I don't know how you answer that. Ask your soul that question. Am I okay? Like, I don't know how I would answer that, but but I want to answer, I'm not okay. If I look at my heart and I would say, no, it's broken. I'm not okay, but that's okay because Jesus makes it okay right? That I'm not okay, but that's okay because Jesus makes it okay. And so what we're trying to say is all I need is need. <laughs> I don't need to know all the theological T's and cross all the i's, cross all the T's and dot all the I's. I don't need to know everything about that, that there needs to be known, but I need to know that I have a need for Jesus. That, that if I lose that, then I lost everything. Like if I lose my need for Jesus, then I'm in trouble. But if I'm able to say I'm not okay, but that's okay because Jesus makes me okay. Then I'll be open for business. <laughs> like then I'll be open to, to let others teach me. And we will, we will, we will see like these disciples saw that. Well, someone might come along and say, you know, have you not heard the good news? Is this good? I mean, didn't you hear someone, someone set up a trust fund with your name in it and you have $500 billion in it that is better than you even know. The good news is better than, you know, it's better than I know. The gospel is fuller and more beautiful than I think. And so teach me, Lord, teach me, show me something bigger and brighter this week. As we enter this passion week, let's not waste it. Teach me and reveal to me something that I hadn't seen in your character before. And so ask the Lord go before the Lord and storm his storm his castle and beg for him to show you a bigger more fuller version of himself to you this week. And so let's make ourselves ever dependent upon Jesus.